Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev, episode number 117. Chris, did you know that there are some countries that have heptadecaphobia, which is fear of the number 17 in much the way as in the United States, we have fear of the number 13. So like some of our buildings don't have the number 13. It just goes straight from 12 to 14. But people on the 14th floor know what floor they're really on. (laughs) So in, in some of these countries, they won't have a 17th row of an airplane. It just goes directly from 16 to 18. But people in the 18th row know what row they're really on. <laughs> and uh, there was a car that was made by Renault called the R17, which was the car that came after the R16. And in this country, that car was renamed to, depending on the source you look up, either the R177 or the R117, 117, which is the title of this episode. Uh, can you guess? Which country holds this superstition the strongest? Is that Russia? It's not Russia. Renault? I have a hint for you, which is that one of the potential sources of the superstition is that in Roman numerals, 17 is uh, V... Hold on. X- XVII, uh, 10511, which is an anagram of a Latin word, V-I-X-I, which means I have lived... Uh, or like I'm dead, so it's like it's like a death number. Uh, sure. That's, so that's is it Italy? <laughs> it's Italy. Yeah, you got All right. it. <laughs> I got. Yeah, I guess Renault. I don't know what car brand I was thinking of. That's Russian. That sounds like Renault. But yeah, Russian. Renault's Russian. Yeah. Or I mean, yeah, Italian, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know actually. I, I could look. Okay. Up. Yeah. Yeah, it's Italy. You got it. <laughs> there you go. The uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. Instead of Friday the Thirteenth in Italy, they have superstitions around Friday the Seventeenth. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's right, my fun cool. fact about the number 117. All right. Hopefully it's less mathy. So we did. We didn't Hopefully it's true. The less mathematically inclined. I th- I put I put three minutes of research into this one. So excellent. Much uh, much more than usual. How are you? How uh, how was your week? What'd you get up to? I'm doing all right. I had sort of a chill week. Um, the Kaggle competition I was working on, I just decided I was not going to do very well. So I just I stopped working on it because I I could not. Uh, get to where some of the teams are getting. So uh, maybe if I kept working on it, I would have. But yeah, by the end, I was just couldn't figure it out. So it ends tonight, and I will know what the top teams did and where I could have done better. So could yeah. it be possible that we're in a situation where there's a shakeup of the leaderboard that some of the data might have been leaked or something? So certainly possible. Um, the the public leaderboard is only twenty percent of the test data. Okay, and so the private leaderboard will be on eighty percent, and that when you get into those kind of ranges, like that's pretty low. So certainly a shakeup is possible. Um, but because we, we think that it's, it was totally random, they seem to hint that it was totally random and there's enough data points that I don't think the shakeup will be that big. Okay. Um, so we'll see. Plus the, okay. the top teams are quite a bit higher than I am. <laughs> like they figured something out. Yeah. Fair. Is there a new competition that you have your eye on? There's several. Um, there, there's a bunch open right now. Yeah, if you're interested in uh, data science or AI, check out Kaggle right now. There's a ton of competitions. Um, one is about uh, finger spelling with American Sign Language. Hmm. Um, so they just finished an American Sign Language one, but now they want to be able to use, uh, like, do you know what finger spelling is? So yeah. you can spell letters, right? And so like when you're doing phone numbers or web addresses, um, the only way to get those across in sign language is finger spelling. Yes. And so they want to be able to run that on a mobile device. And mm. so there's like two challenges in one. Uh, one is you have to detect the words that are finger spelled. And then the other is you have to make it into a model that is less than 40 megabytes and runs in a cer- in a smaller amount of time mm. so that I can actually run on a mobile device. Um, so that's kind of a neat one. Um, that is cool. I'm, I'm fascinated by m- uh, alternate input methods like that. Mm. Potentially, because if you, like, you, you make it for... Uh, uh, people who are disabled in, in some sort of way, but then it ends up being better for everybody. Like the speech to text was developed, I think, for people who are, uh, like the, the research was pushed forward for people who are uh, uh, vision impaired. But I use it all the time. Uh, so if if there was another input method of being able to give a computer unambiguously information just with a cell phone camera and, and moving your hands around, like I, I could imagine situations where i would want to learn the uh sign vocabulary to to be able to use that that's cool yeah so that's one of them Um, there's also 
There's a great one for people starting out, which is an extremely small data set. So it's only like 400 kilobytes. There's only like 600 something rows and it's all anonymized data, health data um, to try to predict certain. um, I don't even know. I just looked at it, but uh, the data set is so small and that's why it'd be good for beginners because like it, it, it's not, you know, like the American sign language one is 150 gigabytes. Hmm. So really large data. Well, that's actually, I guess, medium data, (laughs) but um, comparatively like this 400 kilobyte one you could do on a laptop, you know? Mm. So um, that would be a great beginner one to get started. Cool. So, and then there's a few more interesting ones. Have you noticed in any of these compositions, has the game changed at all with these LLMs? Can you use an LLM to cheat at some of them? But then that's an external API request, but I guess you could use Llama or something and just stick Llama in there. Yeah, so with any of the code competitions, they so they disable internet access. So once you sub, like when you submit, your notebook doesn't have internet access, so it can't make API calls, mm-hmm. and you only have certain size GPUs, sixteen gigabyte GPUs. Okay. So you can't run m- many of the really large models. Um, yes. You could probably run something like Llama or something like that, but even in those cases, it's almost always the case, at least what I've seen so far, that. Uh, specialized models do better than the general ones so yeah. general ones are great because they do really well on a wide variety of tasks but it's almost always still the case that very specialized models will do better in a specialized case yeah that makes sense to me i'm curious about the future where any category of problem like this you could just throw the obvious best llm at it and it yeah. gets it done as like as soon as we get you know asi i feel like that's going to happen um yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that's where some of these other ones come into play. Like the sign language one, it has to, the model can only be 40 megabytes. Hmm. So like that discludes, you know, any LLM, like it has yeah. to be a tiny, tiny model. Um, so, yeah. Maybe the future then will be the ASI can just make the smaller version of itself that can... Could be, could be. That's <laughs> yeah. So a, a typical way to train things is called, it's teacher student or, you know, there's very, there's many types of those things but you train the idea is you train a really big model hmm. and then you use that to train a smaller model hmm. and so imagine like you know the inputs and then you know the outputs that the teacher model gives mm-hmm. and then you basically teach the student model to get those uh the, to respond with those same outputs to the input and it's a little confusing why it works but in general you can train better small models if you first train a much larger model and then slowly replace it with a smaller model so that's cool yeah it's called, I didn't know that it's yeah, distillation. Distillation. Okay. Yep. I didn't know that at a term. I think that's how Stanford's alpaca model was made. I think they used the yep. outputs from GPT 3.5 or GPT 4 to, I think to you're right. fine-tune the llama model that got leaked from Facebook. Um, yeah, cool. <laughs> you're still one away, one uh, gold away from being a grandmaster yep. in Kaggle. So any of these striking your fancy? Any of these you want to dive right into? Uh, I've been looking at the sign language one a little bit. Uh, the data is, some of it is particularly challenging. So I don't know. I don't know. I could, I could also just relax for a little while. We'll see. Okay. (laughs) So we'll see. Fair. Yeah. Any updates on any product or like course stuff that you're doing? Any of those other side projects? I mostly took the, the week easy. I, I, uh, I started planning, uh, potentially to build a climbing wall in my basement. Cool. Uh, yeah. Climbing is something I really liked. I, I'm, I'm, on this journey to lose weight and, and get more healthy right now. And I really like climbing. It's a fun exercise. Like I hate ex- like lifting weights because I find it so boring. Mm. But climbing, there's always a new like challenge to solve or whatever. Um, and but the nearest gym is like 20 minutes away from me. Mm. So like 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. And then, like, but I just don't have time <laughs> with kids. Might as and well so, spend the next 40 hours building your own gym. <laughs> you'll, you'll save well, so well, much time. Lifting, lifting all that plywood is, is exercise in okay. itself, you know? Yeah, yeah, there we go. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I might, I might, there, there are a few different types. There's a few different stages also. Um, you can look up like moon board is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a few like that. And it's basically just plywood on a slant. Yep. that you can slap together really easy. Um, so I might start with that and then I don't even have to like drill into my wall and ceiling. Mm. Uh, and if that goes well, if I prove to myself that I actually use it, uh, that that's the cheap way to do it. The more expensive and more, um, the more elegant way, but the takes a lot longer is to actually build it into your wall and ceiling, cool. um, which is what a basement is great for, but it takes more time and money. So I like the moonboard approach. There's yeah. really high tech moonboards in most climbing gyms that I've been to where 
there's a mobile app and the rocks light up and you can yep. it's a standard configuration and then you can share different routes with people and download them and then it lights up the rocks that you can actually touch and yeah those those get pretty cool yeah and then yeah it's the, really cool the angle of it can go extreme it can go yeah like superhuman impossible levels of uh of steepness yeah cool yeah so i'll probably start not superhuman but okay. you, you you want it you don't want it just vertical because uh one like my ceilings are nine feet tall in my basement so you yeah. like run out of room real fast yeah, if yeah. you slant it you get more room the other is it gets really boring after a while to just climb the exact same vertical surface over and over sure so slant to get back makes it more interesting uh and it gives a better workout so um that is the plan i'll probably do 20 20 to 30 degrees somewhere in there okay i love it not That's for, uh, not 45 yeah another advantage of having it overhangy is that if you fall on it which won't be as big of a deal if it's uh just just like the the height of your basement but uh there's a there's a type of fall called a cheese grater where (laughs) especially on walls that are uh uh, slanted the the other way so uh sloped away from you and not not overhangy but if you fall on a on a wall like that either at a gym or out in nature as you're you're like falling down scraping all the way down it's yeah it's a much worse fall um then it if it's overhanging assuming you have a, a padded bottom you just fall straight yeah. down and yeah it's a it's a nicer fall yeah you just fall on the mattress or the crash pad or whatever yeah mm-hmm. that's exciting uh next time i visit you i'm uh looking forward to potentially having a access to your your private rock wall that, that's awesome. really cool <laughs> We'll, we'll see if I get there. Yeah. The first one, like if you actually buy a real moon board, they, they're they crazy expensive. Yeah. But you can build one yourself, like a pretty good size one for under a thousand bucks, holds holds and wood and everything included. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd for sure do that if I had the space for it. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yep. Cool. Happy birthday totally. also. It was my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do anything, oh, anything fun for your birthday? Uh, Not really. Uh, I, um... What did I do? Brittany took the kids for a while. That was nice. Okay. <laughs> she went and did something with them and I just chilled out at home. Uh, we had some pudding, like a, a pudding based Oreo dessert, which is good. Cool. Yeah. Just hung out. Cool. Yeah. Uh, another year. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I think yeah. I wish I you had a, a, a happy weird birthday that I'd calculated a little while ago, like on Mercury or something. And then I, I'd forgotten your actual birthday. So <laughs> That's cool. I, I don't know if I know yours. I think I wrote it down once, but okay. I don't that's, remember. That's how I like it. <laughs> Can't steal my identity. That's um, right. Cool. How about you? I have a few things to update you on, and we'll just go. We'll just go top to bottom. Um, first thing is in my so I, I meet with Rachel, my personal assistant, once a week for half an hour and get updates on projects and uh, give her new tasks and things. And uh, I noticed she was acting a little funny at the beginning of the meeting. And uh, I was like, oh, well, maybe she's just having a, an off day or something. And uh, I got to the end of what I was saying and, and she gave me some follow-ups and I was like, okay, well, see you next week. And she was like, oh, I actually have one more thing. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, I'm uh, I'm leaving the company that I'm ah. with. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, when are you leaving? And she told me in two weeks <laughs> and I said, oh, all right. Well, uh, thank you for letting me know. And we, we got into a little bit why she's leaving and it has to do with that. Uh, the She's in the middle of a, a life transition and uh, she lost one of her bigger clients. And so the total amount that she's getting from the company is less than she would have liked. And sure. I've been thinking about finding someone outside of this company for a long time um, for two reasons. So, so uh Squared Away is the name of the agency. They specialize in hiring military wives. And it was fantastic as the the way that I've phrased it is uh, baby's first employee because there's so much that I didn't have to think about. I didn't have to think about like finding someone or vetting them or doing background checks or doing interviews or the tax stuff of the W-2 or whatever you do for a contractor, 1099. they just said, hey, you want someone? Here you go. Here's the person and they'll work for you. And that was great. And I'm really happy I did that. And their agency fee is something like 45% of what I've been paying, which oh, is wow. great yeah. in the beginning. But then as you're using this person and you're working with them, it's like, well, what is this agency doing to continue earning 45% of this? 
And the other problem I had with them is that I didn't like the incentive structure that they set up for my assistant because I pay a certain amount. I think it's something like six or seven hundred dollars a month for something like 15 hours a month. And that's the flat rate. And I can use up to that level. Hmm. But the problem with that is the incentive. So if, if you're working for a company like this, if you are the assistant and you have a, a couple of contracts that have these like maximum number of hours, it's kind of in your best interest to do as little work as possible um, yeah. because you're going to get paid the same amount either way. There, There is this maximum you're going to get paid. It's It's kind of on your client to be able to fill those hours. And I didn't like that because... And I I don't like I in in the what am I trying to say? Were I in Rachel's position, I think I would have worked and, and done things in exactly the same way that she did. And she was great at doing exactly the tasks that I assigned her. But I was looking for more of a negative pressure of like that she's looking for more things to do, hmm. and I wasn't really feeling that. Um, and I, I see that as a, a big benefit of having an assistant. So. Uh, when she told me after I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, actually, this is really good news because I wasn't going to go through this process because the activation energy was too high. But now I can actually go through the work of like finding someone on my own. Um, and that feels really good. So I immediately after the call, like put out a tweet and texted a bunch of my friends asking if they knew anyone uh, for any work and started getting applications. And I think I'm at like uh, maybe maybe 10 or 15 people now that have uh, applied for this thing and cool. some of them are really qualified like some of them i'm really excited about one of them uh actually happens to be uh on a trip to dallas right now we're having coffee uh right after this podcast and she has a marketing background and that's perfect because yeah, yeah there's there's gonna be a lot of marketing level things that i would love to be able to be given her even more stuff and uh i, I want to be framing this much more as like hey you suggest ways that you can help me like you be hungry for pulling stuff off my plate because that's how you get paid more if in a month there's only five hours of stuff that i've given you you're only gonna get paid five times 35 uh instead of the the higher number that you'd like to get paid um so yeah it it feels like a, a much closer alignment of incentives and i'm excited for this next round of hiring a new assistant cool yeah, I mean, it sounds like the assistant you had was great for that time in your business life, but now maybe it's, yeah, time to move a little closer. To, it sounds like it's still contracting, but a little closer towards a direct relationship. Uh, yeah. So that's, yeah. Yep. That's I'll cool. be spending less. They'll be getting more of the money. I'm going sure. through in preparation for this, the the course that I originally went through to inspire me to, to do this, Remit Sethi's Delegate and Done course. And he's I'm, I'm reminded of like, his expectations for his assistant and how I think I slipped into not having as high of expectations ah. for my working relationship with Rachel. So I'm seeing this as a really good like reset of, okay, yeah, this is the level at which it's possible to hire someone. Uh, I'm also effectively going to be paying them twice as much. So I, I can be right. uh, expecting like twice the competency or, or uh, whatever. Yeah. And it, it yeah, sounds the, like what you're getting for that. Lines. If you choose this marketing person, it sounds like what you're getting is yeah like not twice the work for twice the money but yeah more experience in the area that you need help which is marketing yeah um yeah so i mean that you pay more for specialists right so yeah and i think it's possible to get twice the work for twice the money because there were some months working with rachel where i only used half of her hours uh which i felt bad about but thinking about it retrospectively i think that's just a consequence of the way that the incentives were aligned so yeah in in a relationship where they're keeping track of their hours and uh like they're they're hungry for more stuff to pull off my plate i'm thinking through all sorts of like like i I would love if in that meeting the person reviewed how i how i spent my time the previous week and then came up with ideas of more work that they could be doing and in that sort of situation like oh my gosh if if you're if you're actively pulling more stuff off my plate can you work for twice can can we do you know 30 hours a month instead of 15 and and uh go from there so yeah i'm excited with where that's at and i'm excited to start fresh cool yeah excited to see where that goes same next thing is smaller uh i've been doing a ton of home improvement stuff while sarah's gone because i could be like (laughs) i could be like banging stuff around (laughs) slamming doors of my my i'm reminded of like 
uh, I, I'm not sure I mentioned this on the podcast, but she's in uh, uh, Spain right now for a work trip. And so I've taken this as an opportunity to like take everything out of the pantry and just make a giant mess of the living room <laughs> with all the pantry stuff around it and then yeah. throw out a bunch of stuff that I don't have to ask her about because she probably isn't going to remember the, the thing uh, and then reorganize it. So yeah, it's uh, that's been fun. Uh, and I'm reminded that like <laughs> living living as a bachelor, I, I live very differently and make a lot more noise. <laughs> just like, yeah, so I've got like three more days of this and then and then it's back to married life. But I've uh, I've been enjoying the time that I've had <laughs> just being, I don't know, taking stuff apart and putting it back together. And I think she'll uh, I think she'll be very happy when she comes up and sees like a, a bunch of the home improvement stuff. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I try to do that, too. Whenever my wife leaves, I always do something significant that she's wanted done for a while you know yeah, yeah. so that's a good way to good way to be yeah. it's harder when you have kids uh, because then you got to take care of the kid <laughs> and uh yeah so, yeah so that, that makes it more work but yeah i don't know how deep i want to get into this but i think there's also a vulnerability aspect to it of like if she comes home and the thing's just done that feels very different than if she sees me working on it and i sure. don't know that i can quite quantify that it's like I think part of me doesn't want her to know how much effort I put into it or how long it took might be part of it. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I think that when you are married for longer, that might flip. You, when she comes home, you want to be like, like, I spent so long on this. Yeah, yeah. Here I go. I'm about to clean out the pantry. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Huh, I'll chew on that. Interesting. Um, <laughs> okay, next topic. I had another uh, call with Asia about file inbox. And... These last two have been recorded and might turn into a podcast or might just turn into clips or might turn into blog posts. We're, we're not quite sure yet, cool. but um feel like I'm getting in a really good place with it. And it, the, the plan is sort of solidifying of what the thing is to be focused on. Um, I think it's become very clear that cohort churn is, is like the thing to be focused on uh, at all costs, just like focus on how do I improve this number? And that's very clarifying because in a business, my God, there's an infinite number of things to be focused on. And I was previously not thinking about churn because I was just looking at total user churn, which is pretty low. Um, yeah. So it feels good to have that as a, as a guiding North star. Um, and there's, some systems that we're putting better in place. So like uh, the, this process of reaching out to users to do user research is the direct thing that I think I need to be doing to be improving cohort churn. Just be talking to more people, talk to happy customers, talk to customers who are kind of lukewarm, talk to people who are recently churned and do the mom test style interview. Don't slip into this habit of just sort of asking them what they want and then writing down the features yeah. and then ignoring the features, but like really get after the observational data of like, who is this person? What do they want? What are the things they're trying to get done? So that feels good. I'm, I'm systematizing stuff like that. I'm systematizing being able to calculate numbers like what's my trial to paid conversion rate. That's something that previously wasn't in ProfitWell because of the way that I was handling Stripe plans. I was only making a Stripe plan when I created a new user. And so ProfitWell was only seeing people who started paying me money. Um, but with a couple lines of code, I was able to push this update to the uh, Legacy Rails app that when a new user is created, it also creates a Stripe user and adds them to a free plan. So now I'll, I'll be able to see in the ProfitWell dashboard what that conversion rate is. So that feels cool. good. So so was that, um, that was the reason you couldn't see the right churn number in ProfitWell? ProfitWell was able to show me the right churn number, but it was in a different screen than I thought. It was in a cohort churn screen. Uh, okay. But there was another number that was the trial to paid conversion that the only way for me to get that was to like query the database and do some math of how many Got users it. signed up in this month. And But ProfitWell has a section of their app that has a really nice graph and a, and a screen that'll that'll show you like over time, here's what your trial to paid conversion rate is. And I think they can also split it up by cohort or something else. Um, okay. But they, they just so weren't able to I mean, that, that information. That's good to know that you need to create a customer in Stripe, even if they're paying you $0 yeah. in order to get yeah, yeah. the most out of the analytics. Yeah. This is also, ah, uh, there's so many things in this process that I feel like even if file inbox doesn't work, I'm just learning so much more about what the process is supposed to look like. And yeah. that's one of them. Now I know, you know, in, in uh, integrating Stripe with the video clipper, there was a checkbox in the Stripe integration that said like, would you like to create a new user when a uh, uh, Firebase user is created? And I remember thinking like, I don't think so. Like, well, why would I need to do that? And now I know, oh, no, that's really why. important because otherwise yeah. it's really difficult to calculate the, the trial to paid conversion. So, oh, cool. yeah, 
uh, and I would also need to add them to a free plan and I'm, I'm not sure how I would do that. I wonder if that's a setting I can do in Stripe, just like any user automatically put them on a, on a free plan. Um, yeah, so that, that feel like I've learned, feel like I've grown as a founder, feel like I'm narrowing in on like, okay, here's, here's how to actually grow this business. Um, here's something I'd like your take on. I got sucked down a little bit of a rabbit hole because I saw when I was deploying that change, I saw an error pop up in Doku, which is like a self-hosted Roku. When I deployed saying, hey, you're using version two point something something of Ruby and that version is at the end of life or something and that's a security risk, so you get an update. So I was thinking, oh, okay, I'll, I'll spend 10 minutes like updating Ruby. And like three hours later of work, so like six palms later, I'm in this i'm still upgrading rails and there's a bunch of tests that aren't passing and i don't know why they're not passing and i kind of resent this whole category of work because i'm wanting to switch to the new code base anyway and there's going to be other things that i'm going to have to update in rails and i'd like it to be more secure and ah it's uh i i feel like there's so many better things i could be doing and i'm just curious on your take on that should i roll back the changes i've been working on and just go back to the old version of Ruby and ignore the warning message. Well, how how would you be thinking about this? It's a complicated topic. Um, when, when you said it's going to take ten minutes, and then you said three hours, I was like, oh, it only took you three hours. Uh, but you're right in the middle of it. <laughs> I'm still, not yeah. even. No, yeah. I'm not at the end. <laughs> Ruby upgrades, especially, take me days or weeks. You yeah. know, like in in large code bases. Um, oh, there's so much to say. Uh, security is interesting because you there's always always risk versus reward risk versus cost mm -hmm. right um so what i would do is i would look at the security differences between the whatever two versions of ruby you have look at the severity of the bugs um you know sometimes it's like there's this huge flaw and if anyone detects that you're you know running this then they can get your whole client you know your whole customer database mm -hmm. in which case you probably should you know upgrade um another way to frame it is what is what is the worst case that can happen? Like if the worst case is, you know, I mean, security bugs, there's always bad worst cases, but you know, what, and, and then what's the likelihood of each worst case? You yeah. know, like if someone could get your whole customer list with their credit card numbers and the, and the ease of that exploit is pretty low, mm -hmm. probably means the risk is pretty high. And so, yeah, definitely upgrade, but there's other risks which are much lower or much harder and, people probably aren't targeting you for extremely difficult exploits. And so, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, even that's going to take work to go through the, the bug listings and see what's super severe. Okay. I don't know. It's hard. That doesn't help you probably, but um, I think it depends. Okay. <laughs> is, the, is the answer. Yeah. I think I'm not going to, I think the correct choice is not to do it. And that feels bad because I, I will check the security vulnerability thing and see if there's anything glaring of like, yeah, yeah. but you know, all my, credit card data for my users is stored in stripe uh i think the worst case it, would it be is unless some attacker can eject code into your running thing and get new credit cards maybe they can't get old credit cards but they can get yeah. new ones um yeah it yeah okay it's always a game um so the other thing i'll say is if in the future you want to upgrade uh and you want to be more protected yeah it is way harder to jump from like say version one of rails to version two or ruby right yeah then to jump from 2.0 something to 2.1 something you know yes so like the more you keep up with it the just the less time it takes overall yeah so if you still want to support this for a long time then it's probably worth doing some you know going through some pain now so that when there is some very critical security vulnerability it takes less time to fix it um yeah, that's the other thing that you have to think about. Okay. There was a consultancy I heard about a long time ago that just specializes in upgrading Rails apps. That's like the only thing they do. And I might reach out to them and see. I, be I believe there was someone at MicroConf who did that. Really? That might be where I know it from. But I don't remember the name. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I also feel a little bit of the I, sunk cost fallacy of like, I'm halfway through it right now. If I don't do it right now, when would I ever do it? Yeah. Um, the, a consultancy is also probably going to charge way more than you want to spend because yeah. like, like, this is probably going to be 20 grand, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Look, I don't look know. at the list. Look at the bug list between the two. Okay. Um, I just, I hate, I hate it because it's worth just like getting back yep. to what the baseline was and there's nothing I, 
like the the reason to upgrade is is for some sort of security thing. Yeah. Uh, the other thing there was yeah. for a long time between I think Rails one and two or two and three, mm-hmm. like like it was old old Rails, was there was a company who after Rails stopped patching Rails two, I think it was, I guess, they provided patches for a fee. So um so that you didn't have to upgrade like go from two to three. Mm-hmm. And I know we looked at that because we estimated it was going to take us like a couple of months because we had to rewrite some whole subsystems of things. Hmm. And so we looked at the cost of like just paying for the security patches for Rails 2 versus upgrading. Um, but that was a long time ago. So I don't know if they something like that still exists. I'm reminded of one of the reasons I became so interested in the serverless stuff. It, it was this pain in upgrading because hmm. at at baseline, you don't have to think about upgrading the operating system of the VPSs that you're running under. And you don't have to be thinking about upgrading the runtime. Um, It's just like a single number that you change for the node version. Um, And in my experience, the APIs for this whole thing of like Firebase and React and and, uh, Next and Vercel have stayed way more stable than the one for Rails. So there's just so much less thought I have to put into upgrading this stuff. Every upgrade I've done, like even you know upgrading from, uh, I guess next would be the the main framework I'm updating. Upgrading next, I've upgraded from I think, I think uh, from version 14 to like 18 or 19, 20 might be the most recent version. But uh, whatever the numbers are, every update that I've done has just been like yarn update next, and it just works. Um, and that's that's arguably the point of most pain in upgrading things in this new stack so yeah i I feel renewed motivation to do this freaking serverless transition oh my goodness (laughs) how long have we been talking about this um that's right yeah i I guess what i would do is you're three hours in yeah you know it will be good if you finish i would spend another three hours okay and uh you know there's some rule about this always I can't remember. Always all, but yeah. double the amount of time you've spent on a project. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like if you're three hours in and you want to finish the thing, then spend the three hour, three more hours. And yeah. if you can't after that, then, you know, like, yeah, because you often give up right before you're done, I think is part of the rule. Yeah. And so like, yeah, okay. you, you may be closer than you think. ChatGPT has been a good help in figuring this out. It's, it's been able to figure out. One of them that I was stuck on forever was in my test cases. I needed to explicitly require the library that does the test cases. And I guess I didn't need to do that before and they just worked. So that was weird. Interesting. And then the one I'm stuck on right now is it's saying that in a test, my model doesn't have a method, like the method's missing that I'm trying to call, but it's not, it's there. And it works in other contexts and I don't know why it's not working in the test. And I don't know if I have some weird test setup. Huh? Yeah. Huh is also effectively the answer ChatGPT has been giving me. Um, that sounds weird. That, that that gets into the magic of Ruby too, because you can like add and remove methods at will. Yeah. And uh, oh, there's so uh, much magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really used to like Ruby, and I still like Ruby for some things. But the magic of it is painful because of situations like this, when when stuff yeah. that used to magically be there isn't there anymore. Yeah. I'll say I absolutely from. love Ruby, especially for personal and small projects. Mm-hmm. When you get to long running projects like file inboxes or large team projects, yeah. then it all it takes is for an earlier version of you or someone else on your team to yeah. be like, oh, this magic is neat and to add it. And then three years later, you're like, why does this thing work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's great. I love Ruby for scripts. It's so easy to write like scripts, like file munching scripts. And for stuff. sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. If if a job I'm trying to do is like you know read in the CSV file and then do something to it and then put it back out, Ruby just makes that much nicer than in other yeah. languages. I am though trying to switch entirely to, to JavaScript because the the FS read file library is just I think it's just that I think I don't like how Node reads in files. It's like FS read file sync and then you have to say the file and then I think you always have to put the encoding and in Ruby it's just file that read and then there's the contents of the file um which i think could be solved for myself if i just like write a helper method or something put it in a a keyboard shortcut um yeah okay i don't know what i'm gonna do maybe i'll spend another three hours ah it's it's i feel i feel particular pain because i 
feel like I'm investing in something that I know I'm going to shut down eventually. Like I don't have a higher level plan of, okay, here's, let's, let's be totally honest with myself. The Rails app is going to exist for the next year and a half. That's the, that's the plan. So yes. Okay. This makes sense to invest the time in my head. I'm still categorizing this as like, well, any day now, if I just add these two features to the right. serverless app, which is not the actual, that's not what's actually going on. It, it, it's a lot more than two features. Um, and it, it would take a lot more time than that, but I don't, I don't know. I need better yeah, leadership but, telling me what the actual <laughs> end of life for the, this The other is. thing you could try is like, I don't know what the versions you're talking about, but if you're talking about like jumping from 2.5 to 3.0, instead try 2.5 to 2.9. Mm. Like it might be like 2.9, is almost no work to upgrade to and fixes the most severe bugs. So that's another thing. Like so if the, you're trying to jump all the way to whatever. The problem I ran into with that is the the Ruby update part is no longer the problem. I was able mm-hmm. to so when when trying to update Ruby, I did I did do that much bigger jump. But as I was doing that jump, I it gave me this problem about something something active record doesn't like that. And then when trying to fix that, the way to fix that was well if I just upgrade rails, that would probably fix that. So then I upgraded rails and then the application started working as far as I'm aware, but the tests aren't passing. And I don't know if the tests aren't passing because the code is broken or because the tests just aren't passing because of some stupid oh. way that the tests are. Does it work if you manually test it? I haven't tested that with the specific thing that I'm stuck on now. That would be an interesting thing to test. Yeah. Uh, you could try that and then just run with broken tests. <laughs> I Oh, God. And then it's just... <laughs> that, that sounds that sounds worse, but it might be better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm just going to... Like six months from now, it's just going to be this. It already is sort of. It feels like this ramshackle, like <laughs> just clunking down the highway. Uh, exactly it's, it's this is the time you're going to look back on it six months ago what was i thinking why did like, i do this do? to myself right, exactly yeah yep. i had tests to stop me from this and now this problem has happened that would have been caught by the test yeah oh it's like a significant number of the tests too it's like it's like 20 percent of my tests just stop passing which feels like it's going to be some stupid thing like oh you just forgot to include the make sure the tests actually run package that was added in rails 6.0.2 yep i could i could i haven't read through the change logs in rails specifically for this problem so okay well all right i have two more i have one one two more topics one of them is fun and one of them is a little bit depressing but still information uh all right so the very next one we've been talking about this private chef thing and uh, i walked through my outline we talked about that last week right that the outline of like how i was going to do that so i did it and it was great Oh my goodness. Cool. I from the from the moment even of uh I didn't I didn't quite do it the way that I talked about. I think I talked about doing it through the the uh Central Market like website with their recipes yes. and stuff. Instead of doing that, I did it almost entirely through ChatGPT. I said, "Hey, mm-hmm. I would like I don't know, 20ish recipe ideas for things I could make this week for meal prepping and my preference is that they're roughly aligned with the whole 30 and primal and keto and uh paleo diets uh and it gave me a list of 20 suggestions of things i could make and i read through the list as if it was a menu at a restaurant and i said oh this sounds good and sounds like it'd be pretty easy to make and this one and this one and this one uh i did like uh brussels sprouts with bacon and uh like a rosemary pork loin and a uh steak fajitas and a uh shrimp curry and I said, great, uh, here's the four recipes I'd like to go with. Can you please give me more details about the recipe? Like print out the print out the full recipe and the full ingredients. And so I did that. And then I skimmed through those and I looked at, uh, one of them was saying I needed to like sous vide the pork loin. And one of them was saying it, it wanted to be like slow cooked or something. And I said, okay, I, I try, to, try to change the recipe so that they're all uh, using the oven and that they can all be using the oven at the same time. And then it did. It updated the recipes and said, okay, well, instead of sous vide, you can just roast it at 400 degrees and we'll set the temperature for all of these recipes to, to be 400 degrees and adjust the, the times accordingly. And that part was clutch because now it's it's like starting to parallelize. Now it's, it's mm-hmm. like way less stuff. And then I said, okay, write me a consolidated shopping list organized by section of the grocery store. And it did. And it even did it like in the order that I told it to of the way I walked through the the top <laughs> thumbnail. 
And uh, I said, great, okay. And uh, last thing, write out a consolidated uh, like master recipe so that I can make all four of these at the same time. Uh, and it did. And there were a few little kinks in the system of like, I didn't like the order that it told me to do things in. Like it, it told me to season the stuff. Uh, it, it, to, it told me to like, uh, one of the things was like riced cauliflower. So one of the first steps it told me was preheat the oven, next step, chop up the cauliflower and then rice it. And then there were a few more things and then season the meat and then put the meat in the oven. But what happened was the oven preheated like way earlier than it actually needed to because it took me a lot longer to actually chop the, the cauliflower and stuff. And then for the meat, I seasoned it like right before I started cooking it. And I think it's much better to season meat like way ahead of time because uh, then the salt gets into the meat and breaks it down and it, it's flavored better. So there's a few little adjustments like that that I think with some more prompting, I could say, you know, in in making the consolidated recipe, keep these principles in mind. Uh, try to marinate the meat for as long as possible. Try to minimize the time that the oven is going to be preheated when it doesn't actually need to be, need to be preheated. Uh, try to try to reuse uh, things as much as possible. So something that it did that it didn't prompt it to do that I loved was for the pork loin and for the steak fajitas, first it had me sear the pork loin, and then it said in the same pan, sear the fajitas. And then I think it said in the same pan, like do the cauliflower, but that, that didn't quite work. So I, I used a different pan, but uh, also trying to maximize for that of like using the same bowl. Uh, what I'd also like it to do is for the cutting board, like chop all the vegetables first and mm -hmm. then chop all the meats. So when I chopped up the bacon, in the in the instructions it gave me it said to chop the bacon first but now i got like raw meat on my cutting board so i had to wash it but if yeah. i did the vegetables first and then i did the the bacon that would be like further uh parallelization um so yeah the first early system of this was fantastic i loved the experience of just kind of mindlessly going through the checklist just making stuff while i was jamming out to an audiobook like that was great uh and I love because that it felt like a video game. Then it's like I'm just chopping stuff. What's the what's the current task I do? Oh, next thing in the list, I gotta I gotta uh, you know quarter the bacon. Okay, boop boop boop, uh, done. What's the, the next thing? Yeah, that that part was great. Uh, and at the end of it, I had so much food, and it was like the same <laughs> output as we were getting from this private chef. So I feel like I can uh, confidently fire the private chef. Uh, yeah, that's my update. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see how that goes. And the great thing is you've done this for one week. Now, if you like those meals, you don't have to ask GP, chat GPT again. Yeah. You just reuse the same set of instructions, yep. you know, plus your modifications. Yep, yep. Um, and build up your library of, instead of, yeah, single recipes, uh, weekly weekly recipes. Yes. Cool. Yeah, which I did. I have a, a new folder in my uh, external brain system on my computer. That's, it's like the date of the, it's the folder's recipes and then it's the date of the recipe. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go back to old favorites and like certainly after I've done this 50 times, I'm not going to need to do it again. I can just reuse the recipes or maybe I, maybe I mix and match the ones that worked out really well. Um, the shrimp curry that it told me to make, it told me to pressure cook and that was a bad idea because it way overcooked mm. it and I don't know what to do with it now. I have this huge pot of curry where it's just a lot of really soggy vegetables and like really mealy shrimp. <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. Uh, I might, mealy shrimp I might is hard. blend it. And do like a yeah with soggy vegetables you can turn it into a like a thick stew by blending but try blending just part of it yeah um, and that'll thicken it and then it'll be more like a stew yeah. instead of a curry okay yeah. yeah otherwise worked out so well you can also just like eat it on rice or something like like add potatoes or rice or something not mealy yeah. and hard the or cauliflower it, rice is uh meant to accompany the the curry so mm. yeah I'll play with it today yeah or you just either force yourself to eat it and learn next time or throw it away yeah it's too bad <laughs> yeah Terrible. yeah looking at this as an experiment especially considering the amount that i would have spent on a private chef it mm. feels much more trivial to just yeah it you know the the raw ingredients for this curry cost i don't know twenty dollars so and the the private chef would have cost like 230 dollars so right. just throw it away <laughs> just just uh eat the food that you actually want to eat yeah. like that's, that's I, i've had it i've completely messed up things before where i've had to throw it away not not just overcooked but like yeah like i guess i can't remember a specific time but i've definitely had to throw things away that were just not great i can't remember the last time i messed up a dish but i'm, I'm I, sure I remember it's throwing happened. things away i don't sure. i don't remember why sure how do you throw away yeah. curry did you flush it down the toilet i don't want to throw it in the garbage because it's like it's like a shrimp uh, soup. probably fine like a, uh i don't know if you have any 
can or not cans, but jugs of stuff with lids. Yeah. Pour it in those and then throw that away. Yeah. What a terrible surprise that would be for someone in the future who uh, breaches that can. Be... It's just going to go in the landfill, right? So... Yeah, but still, I don't know. It smells pretty bad. Anyway, you, yeah, you can't, it'll you break pr- down. You can't even, the, the problem with it is you can't even use it for compost or whatever because there's salt in it. And so, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't. My first thought was that you could dump it in the garden or something, but that would be a bad idea. Yeah, I know. Don't want to salt the earth. My last update is an update to Dude, Where's My Crypto? BlockFi, oh. one of the two companies that is going through bankruptcy proceedings that has a substantial amount of Sarah and my money, uh, which sucks, but it looks like it's going through relatively orderly. Announced today, uh, possibly yesterday, that they have a proposed plan of how they're going to split up the money that they're going to get back, uh, including a table of projections of depending on what sort of uh, creditor you were to BlockFi, what percentage they estimate uh, you'll get yeah. back. And they have two different plans and I don't quite understand what the two different plans are. And they talk about uh, clawbacks, which are like getting money back from people who took who withdrew money within 90 days of when they declared bankruptcy and that's very mm-hmm. interesting to me if that actually happens uh and apparently another company who went bankrupt in, in similar ways is going through clawbacks um because what that means to me is if they actually do go through clawbacks like i think i i had been thinking oh man if only i had I'd withdrawn sooner i would have gotten money back but that's not the case if they do clawbacks because they would come after me for the money that I took out and just leave me with the percentage that I would have gotten if I would have gone through bankruptcy proceedings. I don't know if they're going to do clawbacks, but that was that was an interesting thing that I learned about in the process of uh, bankruptcy. Like, it's not enough that you got your money out necessarily. Um, yep. Yeah. So that, that if they do go through clawbacks, that sucks for people who think they got their money out. Uh, that then apparently in the bankruptcy proceedings they can like garnish your wages and they can subpoena for access to different bank accounts. Like what a, what a mess um, for, for, for the crime that you committed of getting your money back from a company that then went bankrupt. Like this is, I, at the same time though, like, I don't, I don't know how else I want it to work. I guess, I guess that's a good system. Uh, anyway, the, the, I'm burying the lead here, which is they had a column that's their projected amount, uh, worst case and best case for how much, uh, what what percentage my type of creditor would get back. And at first I read it and I thought it was, I thought I was a different kind of creditor than I now think I currently am. And for the different type of creditor, it was like, ah, we project a worst case of that you get 80% of your money back. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's great, 80%. And I texted Sarah and I was like, hey, babe, guess what? We might get 80% of our money back in the worst case. And she was like, ah, oh, that's great. But then I went on Reddit and saw what, people were saying and people were like really pissed off and i was like oh that's interesting that so many people are pissed off at getting 80 percent back but then they were quoting much lower numbers and i was like hold on did i read this wrong and i did read it wrong and for my type of investor they estimate and this they say all through the report that this is just an estimation and depends on how much money they're able to get back from the the uh, uh, ftx people for my type of investor i have a best case of getting back 94.4% of my money and a worst case of 33.4%. And that sucks. Yeah. Uh, but it's an amount that I'd be getting back. It's more money than I have right now. And I also had less money with BlockFi than I had with Gemini. So I'm still waiting on Gemini to, to do the same sort of thing. But learned a lot about bankruptcy proceedings uh in this process and uh it sucks and it could suck much more and uh yeah not your keys not your coins uh yeah 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 uh that sucks but yeah that always assume you're the lowest type of creditor because if, if you don't have a lot of money then you're not the the top the the best the the first one that's out yeah right. um yeah. Also, clawbacks are a real thing. Uh, Bernie Sanders's clients uh, got clawed back. Yes. And so even the yeah even the ones getting you know they thought they were in the clear like they well, not, it was not, way more not than Bernie 90 Sanders. Days. Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who voted for Bernie Sanders had to <laughs> had to return their vote. Yeah. Madoff. Bernie. Bernie Madoff. Yes. Uh, yes. Bernie Madoff's clients. Uh, they got clawed back. There's a documentary about it, and so there's like 
you know, this one couple who like they, they were just investing and they were getting checks and whatever and they were like retiring and stuff. And then they got like all of it clawed back and now they're like, you know, they they have no money. Yeah. And, you know, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know a better way to do that either, because one of the things clawbacks is trying to prevent is people with insider knowledge getting wind of something happening and then pulling out. All yeah, the money. yeah. Um, and it's really hard to separate that from people who are just, you know going about their lives withdrawing money regularly mm-hmm. so like i understand that but it's still yeah sucks yeah I, yeah yeah yep. if they do so, we'll the proposed plan uh a bright side of this oh oh part of this is like we as shareholders as as debtors vote on if we like the plan or not and i yeah. don't fully understand if i should vote for it or not because I, it might be worse if i don't because i think then the sec takes charge of it and they have a way of doing it that's different that might be better or worse i'm not sure interesting um yeah but anyway uh uh i if if the plan passes and they go forward with it my understanding is it could take as little as a few months but if the plan doesn't pass it may take several years so yeah makes sense yeah there's a there's a whole there's a whole discussion happening on the subreddit for this right now of like there's also i imagine since it's all bitcoin like it very much matters whether you get paid in bitcoin or dollars that's um, not just that's already been determined yeah, yeah at the oh, okay. at the, there was a snapshot of like what the coins were worth at the at the date of the uh yeah but bankruptcy. are you going to get bitcoin back or dollars back cuz if they have to give you dollars back yeah what dollars for sure oh for they're going to give you yeah. dollars back that means they have to liquidate their bitcoin so yeah. that's very interesting yeah yeah I don't know what that looks like on their end. Also, some creditors are getting it back in Bitcoin or the other cryptocurrencies. Okay. But yeah, for, for my type of creditor, we get it back in dollars. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Big mess. Yep. Yep. Try not to think. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to frame this in terms of like, I've already lost the money and this is, I, I, I might get some of it back. But yeah, it's uh, non, non-ideal. Y- you might get it. Might get a big bonus this year, Christian. I might. <laughs> might have enough money Hooray. to buy a nice steak dinner. <laughs> to, buy, right. to buy groceries for one week of meal prepping. Um, Excellent. I'll certainly maybe have enough to replace the uh, shrimp curry that I made. <laughs> and maybe twice. Uh, I think. Uh, I didn't have repurpose engine on here, but I guess a, a quick update to that is. I had a breakthrough with the AI uh, this last week. I'm, I'm able to get now what I think are better results than all of the competitors' AIs that I've been using. And that feels really cool. Um, cool. I think I'd mentally categorize like, oh my gosh, these, these huge companies backed by Y Combinator and Google and stuff, like how could I possibly compete with them? And yet somehow I am, and I don't understand that, like just by going through understanding a little bit better how open ai is working and how prompt engineering works um i was able to craft a prompt that like works really well that fits comfortably under the token limits that gets me really good data that's in the format that i can use it with that that uh i can even run on uh gpt 3.5 which is cheaper and faster so that feels really cool that that was some uh really good news that i got this last week so if I can decide how to allocate my time between this stupid Rails update and doing this, like this is uh might be relaunching uh this week or next week with the new fancy AI stuff, which feels pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Uh that's one that's one thing that you have going for you as a small uh, you know, as a one person company is you can iterate super fast on this AI stuff yeah. and you don't have to get approval from anyone to change your prompts or whatever yep. and you just do it and Hopefully it's better. Yeah, that's cool. I think the way some of the established companies have been doing this is training their own models with Probably. a bunch of data of like they they looked at the transcripts of of uh, uh, episodes that came out before, and I am just relying on ChatGPT to know what's interesting to a human. And yeah, it was I I if I could if I could peek into their company and look at the amount of effort that they put into it versus the amount of effort that I put into it. It seems like I just was able to work much more effectively by leveraging the the LLMs. Um, so yeah, that feels pretty cool. Yeah, you you also so as an AI company, they probably have a lot of 
pressure to own their own models because mm. that's their competitive advantage. Yeah. Whereas you, you're like, I'll just use the API, whatever, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, whatever works. So yeah, that's probably not something a venture-backed company would do. That makes sense. Yeah. Especially if they're, especially if they're backed by Google or something, right? Because Google might be like, no, under under no circumstances could you use the API <laughs> that's of right. like, well, our biggest competitor. Yeah. Yeah. G- Google just released a bunch of their own models. So you can use one. Are of there those. APIs behind that yet? Bard, I think is the, mm. the main one. So they released their Palm models, which is, I think, the keyword you want to look for. Okay. Palm is more developer focused. Yeah. Bard is the, the public chat interface. Right. Uh, but try looking for Palm models. They didn't release the weights to Palm. There's just like APIs no, to Palm. It's an API. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to keep on top of that. There's another one by, uh, oh, I forgot the name. Anthropic. Anthropic, yeah. With a 100,000 token limit. Like, oh my goodness. Yep. That's that's a lot of tokens. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I applied for access to that, but I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I feel like it's a it's a strong competitive, competitive advantage like as a developer or as an early product to have API keys to, to like... Yeah. That, that are are uh, on the beta list to all these things. Uh, yeah, you don't know anyone working in Anthropic, do you? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. No. Okay. Oh, this is uh, we, we got a we got a minute or two to, to talk about this. This is something I've run into with um, Attaboy, which is I'm using the same API keys for the video clipper and for mm. like my my personal on my computer uh, using GPT and for. Um, Attaboy. They're all using the same keys. And something I've noticed starting to happen on Attaboy is that I guess it's gotten enough users and grown to a point where it's hitting the token limits and like the the rate limits for the OpenAI API. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about that because they say all over on the website that you can't request uh, rate limit increases. But I've heard of people who are getting rate limit increases. And I've heard that a potential strategy for that is you just you just get multiple API keys for multiple accounts and you cycle through them. Um, but I'm also thinking about could I could I be doing like a multi-cloud approach where there's different LLM services that if I can make a standardized uh, uh, library that can call any of these at the same time, um, that feels like a good way to hedge my bets of like. Uh, I'd like to be able to, to just call a single API endpoint and know that it's always going to work if I have, you know, multiple API keys for uh, OpenAI and the key for uh, Microsoft and the key for uh, Anthropic and and whatever else Google's thing. Um, so then that got me thinking, oh, what if that was a centralized service where it's just like, uh, <laughs> you know, enter all your API keys in here and use this, use right. this limited subset of the API. And, uh, you know, now you have now you have the capacity of all of these things instead of just one of them. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? So th- there are companies pushing tons of data through OpenAI. So there is a way to get way more tokens and, and rate increases. Yeah. I don't know what that means. It might cost a lot of money or something, but that seems super weird. Um, the other thing you could do is, just, is split, you know, split Attaboy and uh, Repurpose Engine. Yes. So like you have two different API keys. That makes a lot of sense, I think. Um what you said about splitting between multiple APIs also makes sense, although the sort of quality might be different or, you know, different quirks between different AIs. Um, but it reminds me of a paper I just saw last week, I think. Uh, what they did is they ran things through varying levels of LLMs. So you start with like a CPU only one and then you go to a GP, a small GPU one, a larger GPU one. And at the, the at each stage, you basically have another LLM, right? The quality of the output. Mm-hmm. And then you continue to the next stage if the quality is not what you expect in certain areas, and they have like metrics in this paper and stuff, and then all the way to the GPT-4 API. So you basically build up this larger and larger thing. And what they found is that most, it, depending on how you break up queries, most things can be solved by smaller, by multiple smaller LLMs, hmm. which is versus the large one, and only some things got all the way to the end. And so when you look at the graph of uh, time to response versus or no what was it cost versus accuracy and then they also had time to accuracy or whatever it was basically like way more efficient to run through these smaller ones first check the output and go to the bigger ones only when you didn't get good enough output yeah um so that kind of reminds me of that so like you know if you could split things up uh and run if, if you didn't need that much power you could run it on like a local one a cpu only one or a you know a smaller gpu one um and just reserve like GPT four or GPT three five for like the really intense queries. Yeah, um, that that might be 
a future that this goes down. I love that idea of working up in complexity and using the 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 place my mind goes is just like that's that could be a built-in feature of this central API if you had some way of yeah. testing if you got good results or not. It it could which the paper does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it would depend on the use case, right? Like for my use case, how how do oh, I decide yeah, yeah. if I have gotten good highlights yes. from a from a the clip? paper does for their use case. Yes. Yeah. So you'd have to develop your own way to figure it out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Which which is hard because if you could figure it out, then why don't you just do it that way from the beginning? Yeah. But uh, I, th- uh, I think it, there is it is, I think the, it is easier to validate. I think although for my so for for the use case of uh, uh, trying to find interesting highlights of clips, I think. I think the test I would do is just like, is this actually a segment of the clip which I could test? Did you actually, yeah, you and did that. you return it in the format that I'm expecting of, uh, you can get LLMs to output JSON. Did you know that? If you just yeah. ask it, it, yep. it just outputs JSON. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Have you seen, there's a Twitter thread where they're trying to get, I don't remember if it's ChatGPT or Bard, they're trying to get it to output just the JSON. And instead it would always output like, here's some whatever yeah. JSON for you. And then colon, whatever the JSON. <laughs> and one of the one of the people on the thread, they ended up threatening the life of another human <laughs> if it didn't return just the JSON. <laughs> and eventually they got it too. Can you imagine including that in every API request? Because that's, that's just how you know for sure you're going to get it. That's JSON. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then someone else in the thread was like, actually, it's really easy. All you have to do is like this. Whatever. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> but, less fun. So, but you can also threaten the, threaten another human's life and it will uh, return just There's JSON. There's a train point. heading down a track. And if you output only JSON, the train won't hit anyone. But if you include anything else, then the train will get diverted into a track. It's an AI trolley problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's delightful. What a world we're living in. What an absurd. Yeah, I know. This is uh this is this is a cool time to be alive. This is a weird <laughs> a weird era it's of programming. A weird time to be alive. Um yep. Okay. Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.